being 21 and coming out of a corner and being 35 coming out of a corner, at least in cyclocross, they're, they're different worlds. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I did the extra criterium not long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Only because it's my hometown crit and I'd recently flown back. And I was like, okay, having just sworn off never doing a criterium again. It's my hometown crit and there's fresh pavement. That's great. Yeah. And all was well and good until an 18-year-old chopped me in the penultimate corner. And I'm like, nope, don't need this. Hey, everybody. Welcome on back. I am Ted King. I am your host. And this is King of the Ride podcast. Holy cow. What a day in sports. What a weekend in sports. For one, we are on the heels of the Jam Grand Fundo, Jeremy Powers and company. They hosted their ninth annual Jam Grand Fundo, which was a smashing success. It's always fun to catch up with friends, old and new. I'm thrilled to have found some time to sit down with Jeremy, and that is the crux of today's episode. But first, let's let's continue on with this intro. Two. It was the World Cup final in which the entire globe was glued to the television. France held off Croatia for a very exciting 4-2 win. Did I watch it? No. Did I know the score? Yes, obviously 4-2. And therefore, that does kind of make me upset that I missed it only because I probably missed the most exciting, action-packed final in World Cup history. Next up, Wimbledon. Novak Djokovic, he took on his fourth title, beating out South African Kevin Anderson, straight sets. Straight sets, not the most interesting final. Say la vie, Djokovic is absolutely world-class. I was a tennis player once, great sport. I think I gave it up entirely when I lost a very scrappy match against the one and only George Hincapie. George, I think we got to play again because that was just fugly. Next up, of course, was the Giro Rosa, the women's Giro d'Italia. I will be honest, I thought it was a bit odd that they overlapped the women's Giro with the men's Tour de France. However, they didn't ask me, and it ended up being an incredible week of racing. I thought the coverage was pretty fantastic. Uh, I was able to watch the finale of a handful of the women's races, which is something that you don't see traditionally. So that was very cool. The Sunweb team, they started out with a very dominating performance, passing the jersey all around the team after the taking home the team time trial by just over one second over Michelton Scott. Then Mitchelton Scott got to turn it on later in the race, but of course the American cycling audience was pumped halfway through when Ruth Winder, she took top honors over Taylor Wiles. Taylor, friend of mine from the Bay Area, training buddy here and there. Uh, that put Ruth in the jersey, very exciting to see. And then Annemiek Van Vleuten of the Mitchelton Scott team, she absolutely smashed this 45-minute uphill time trial. She beat second place by two and a half minutes. That's what you might call a dominating performance. A very punchy stage eight. That was won by the sport's most decorated athlete, Marianne Voss. And that set the stage for the Zonkalan on stage nine. The Zonkalan is absolutely fierce. It was, it was painful just thinking about those gradients that they were going up. That was one of the stages that we were able to watch straight through. Very cool to see. Um, Anamik, she took stage nine. She took a very non-parade-like stage 10. She took three out of the final five stages. Now, of course, Anna Anna Van Vanderbregen, pardon me, she's a two-time winner. She's making inroads on the mountain bike scene, so she took this year to, to step away. That was really exciting racing across the board. Also, an, another Middlebury gal, coincidentally, Megan Guarnier, she finished in fifth place two years ago. She was the top place. She was the victor in the Giro Rosa. So I know Megan, I know that she wanted to do better, but a respectable fifth place there. Very cool to have stayed apprised of both races, which brings us to the men's stage nine 
probably the most exciting stage to date of perhaps the past few years. Man, it was Roubaix meets the Tour de France. Perry roubaix meets the Tour. I don't know. Maybe they should always run the Tour in the summer because you don't need crappy weather to make a really exciting Tour de France. That was... That was very exciting. Of course, if you throw the GC contenders into the mix, into the sprinters mix, into the opportunist mix, into the the relures breakaway mix, that made for a fascinating stage. I'm I might be with you thinking that the racers weren't terribly psyched, but then checking in post facto, by and large, these guys had a really good time. I'll get to that in just one second. Okay, so let's go through the highlights point by point without taking too much time because we're still in the intro. In a subsequent podcast, I'm going to predict Richie, who is my pick for the tour, is going to fall on some hard luck, which might seem a little bit dichotomous. However, I was hoping that that TJ would would take on the reins and take on the reins of Team BMC. Unfortunately, I don't think TJ is going to raise his hand to do any more Cobble Classics anytime soon. That was obviously the biggest shakeup. Roman Bardet, next up, he spent, if you watch the whole stage, he spent half the race casually darting around the caravan and amongst his teammates. And I don't care if you are you are motor pacing a dump truck. As long as you are not in the peloton, you are paying a price. And you see that towards the end of the race when Bardet does one more bike change and he loses a handful of seconds. Impressive only seven seconds. He, he finished with Landa, who crashed horrifically hard after taking an innocuous sip from his water bottle. I often describe racing cobble classics kind of like racing the gnarliest six-hour criterium of your life. So take your typical crit, multiply it by six, and that is what a traditional cobble classic is like. And it's not because it's full gas game on for six straight hours. There's plenty of hard moments. There's plenty of easy moments, just like a criterium. However, it's the road furniture. It's the it's the roundabouts. It's the flower boxes in the middle of random spots in the road. It's It's traffic congestion trying to be controlled this traffic congestion for cars where you suddenly put 180 racers out on the road it's just a dangerous place to be i call it square peg round hole anyway miraculously landa only lost seven seconds it shows a how impressive that is b how impressive that he only lost seven seconds and c how freaking tough bike racers are next up Rigo, he lost a minute and a half. I think he's something of a people's choice. People really appreciate Rigo. Again, hats off to the EF Drapic team. Those guys rode like giants to call it back even that much after a little bit of a last-minute tumble and bike change. So as I was talking about, I caught up with Ian Boswell a little bit afterwards, caught up with my buddy Lawrence Tendam. Both of them described it as absolutely crazy. Not their favorite thing, but they actually kind of enjoyed it. Um... I think Boswell's quote was crazy, but I loved it. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate that. Um, anyway, I mean, yeah, I think it'll be honest. It's it's more of a miracle that GC hopes, more GC hopes were not dashed on a day like today. Anyway, let's jump to the head of the race. Cycling fans in general, of course, would have been pumped to see Peter win. When Peter wins, people seem happy. Similarly, people would not have been surprised if Quickstep won. They have the strongest, let's call it, quote, one-day race team. They don't seem to have a GC hope, so they're going for stages. They they are taking home a bunch with Gaviria, but then they also have Tepstra, Lampart, Gilbert. So to not win a stage like today was actually something of a loss for them. They were defeated, which, you know, c'est la vie, that's bike racing. John Degenkolb, winner of the day. Spectacular ride. He hasn't won anything basically in three years when he had a 
huge string of very positive results. So yeah, suffice it to say, he earns the Strong Man Award and he earns another contract going into the going into the subsequent years. Rest day tomorrow. I have to laugh at that. That's just enough time to hop on an airplane, fly across the country of France, check into a hotel, skip massage, eat a late night dinner, lick their wounds from today, go for a quick training ride, take a nap, write some emails, catch up with friends and family, and then get ready for stage 10, which has a cat four, cat one, HC climb, cat one, and cat one. Yes, that is going to be a doozy. Gentlemen, rest up today. Of course, on Tuesday also, when they get into stage 10, that is, that is the woman's La Course. It's a one-day race. It's the woman's Tour de France. It's taking place on a Tuesday. Again, I don't quite understand that. I hope a lot of people turn out. I hope a lot of people are paying attention. I don't know why they don't just wait for for the weekend or, or I don't know, midweek racing. It just doesn't seem the most riveting for a one-day race. Anyway, they didn't ask me. Again, let's get down to the purpose of this podcast. My friend and yours, the ever-smiling Jeremy Powers. Jeremy and his friends started the JAM Fund. That stands for Jeremy Al Macunda. I'm going to say that way too many times today. In the brilliantly titled JAM Grand Fundo, the most eponymous ride of the year because it is nothing but fun. They started that nine years ago. We kick it off by joking about our mobile studio. The mobile studio is, quite frankly, anywhere I decide to podcast so hopefully the acoustics are up to par. He was very kind to take the time from an incredibly busy week. Jeremy, he, he runs three facets. He runs Team Jeremy. It's called Aspire Racing. He runs that. That's a full-time gig. He co-runs the Jam Fund with Alan McCunda. That's a full-time thing. And then as a result of co-hosting the King Challenge that I do, I know how much effort it is to run an event, the Jam Grand Fundo. So Jeremy Powers is a very busy man. Busiest man in cyclocross. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for for letting the cat out of bag a tiny bit about plans for 2019. I'm going to let him do his formal introduction of what he's doing next year. Anyway, we have trained together a bit. We've raced together quite a bit more. It was really fun to take the time to sit down and catch up with Jeremy Powers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Casting pods. Welcome to the King of the Ride podcast, Jeremy Powers. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, this is a beautiful space that you have dedicated uh, for us here in Western Massachusetts. I'm glad that you roped it off and rolled out the red carpet, the velvet ropes. And it's nice. It's nice to be here. Oh, man. Yeah, we moved out of central Massachusetts over here to Western Massachusetts. <laughs> Northampton, I think. Is that Technically, we're in Southampton. Okay, South. This is, yes. Which I also understand that Northampton, Southampton, Easthampton, they're all on a skewed axis. So they're not actually northeast, southwest of one another. I, truthfully, I couldn't tell you, but um, we are south of Northampton. I can tell you that. Okay, magic. <laughs> and we are one day out from the ninth annual mm. Jam Grand Fondo. Yes. Which I still think is the greatest name for a Grand Fondo. <laughs> Uh, cause you put the fun in fundos mm. last year was my first, this is your ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, holy cow. Yeah. I had a freaking blast and I'm got it, got a little bit dirty. And this is the first year of the adventure loop. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, this was the first year for the adventure loop. It's a, the thing about running an event is that it it does have to change over time. You know, the route has to change a little bit or the food has to change. And so you ask, how can I make it better? And with the evolution of the bikes that people are riding, um, it has, we've been able to, you know, go from like what we would consider like a modified road bike, you know, bring, uh, you know, training 25 C tires and you won't flat, you know, that's the first years, uh, with, you know, and we tried to keep it fairly maintained the, the gravel roads that we did. So they weren't just super chopped up and everyone was flatting all over the place. Um, but now that everyone's riding 40 C's or 650 B with these, you know, gorilla, huge tires on them, really the adventure loop is, you know, we're just, we're just matching the times and we have rides that we do all of, you know, always where we kind of incorporate these loops and these roads and cut throughs and stuff. So, uh, I, we knew we could do it. It is, it is a big undertaking. We definitely went, we went back and forth with, should we do this or should we not do this? And in the end I, I pushed for it. Um, Al signed off on it and the kids and I all rode it and then, we put the work in to rake out the trails and to make it so that it was, yeah, it was fun for everybody that came out yesterday. And I think it was a success. People that I got feedback from said they really enjoyed it. Hugely successful. Um, incredibly well marked. That was something we heard all throughout the day, which is no small feat. I mean, for the folks who didn't ride it are purely listening now. Yeah. You're in the middle of the woods and you're like, oh, look, an orange marker yeah. on a rock. <laughs> yeah, um, good. And yeah, there were parts that are certainly buffed out and then there are parts that you feel like you're bushwhacking, but yep. we knew exactly where we were going. Yeah. I think that's, that is definitely my, that comes from me. Cause I like to do a ride where I go to someone's, uh, someone's area and then I don't have to think about it. I hate when I'm, you know, th well, that's not, that's just me, but this, this is our ride. And, and for me, I'm not this huge adventure. I don't want to be lost on a 67 mile ride bonked, you know, with no return route, you know, available on some mystery thing like that for me, isn't my favorite type of ride. And you can only map to what you, you know, what you like. And so for me, it's, uh, it's been always like, I want to market heavily. I want to let people know where the rest stops are. And I would like to, to be fun and inclusive and not this like total death march, which it's fine that people like that. It's not my favorite day on the bike. So yeah, so we try to keep it heavily marked so that people can enjoy the scenery and know that they're going in the right direction and heading back without wondering <laughs> where am I? Right. Yeah. When you're on mile 80 of a 60 mile ride, you're in trouble. No, seriously. Yeah. And that's the thing is we did a, we did a ride, uh, for the Bentonville Rafa pop-up, um, like maybe two months ago. And they said, oh yeah, at this point, um, there's no returning. Cause you go like around this lake and this lake has all these little like tentacles on it. And then the loop goes down into these tentacles. And then, you know, if, if one of these roads may or may not go through, they don't know. And huh. I said, well, it would be better if you guys drove this ahead <laughs> of time than if you just put everyone out here. Cause for me, you know, but we were doing this exploration of it and I was like, I'm not going down there because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been bonked at 80 miles in and, and a five hour day. Like I'm not interested in doing that. I've seen uh, back in the good old days, for some reason, Joe Martin stage race comes up in this podcast a lot. <laughs> okay. And I remember one of the most uh, uh, classic American events. <laughs> absolute classic American cycling. No doubt. Um, I remember seeing a warthog in the, in the cover of the um, local newspaper that had recently been shot by, I think a nine-year-old girl. I'm probably exaggerating here, except the one thing I'm not exaggerating is this animal was the size of a Volkswagen bug. <laughs> so I don't think I even know what a warthog is. When you're, you don't ball. want to, when you're, maybe it was a wild boar, potato, potato. Okay. When you're venturing down one of those tentacles around the pond in Bentonville, you don't want to run into one of those. No. Uh, no, it's the, I think it's armadillos that they had a lot of, those are all over the place. Armadilla. Armadilla. 
Do you remember? Did you do tour in Missouri when we were doing? Yeah, you did it. Yeah. And remember? And do you remember when someone crashed? I'm pretty sure one of the one of the guys crashed, and <laughs> and then they they made the special jersey that we had to all sign, and it had an armadillo. They didn't want to use the armadillos, how I remember it, as as like their mascot. But then after the first year, it was like, no, you have to, yeah, you have to use the this armadillo. Token, like gotta... they were just being too snobby, and then and then it was like, no, we're. We got to just embrace this. It's armadillo time. And then the next year when we went back, they had some like armadillo like on the jersey. The leader's jersey had an armadillo on it, I think. <laughs> Classic mascot, a tour of Missouri. Great, unfortunate bygone bike race. Yes. Um, so yeah, going back real quick, this is the ninth edition of the ride. Yes. And you have built out the jam fund, which we will explore here in just a moment, bringing a whole bunch of cyclists to this area, Northampton, Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts. And the route that we did yesterday, um, like you were talking about, it's a lot of the roads and adventures that you guys are doing like day in and day out. It's where you guys do your training. I totally get that when you're like, you just see so much fun that they're having, whether it's, I was riding with Anthony and Scott for a while, they're jibbing off everything in sight. In the evolution of the sport, like we said, you know, nine years ago, people think that a 25 seat tire looks fat. What were you guys doing nine years ago? Would you do like much more specific training? I mean, like nine years ago, we didn't say, oh, I'm going to go off road and try to do an adventure. Like where has that, has that been a nine year progression or were you guys doing this nine years ago? Well, I mean, we def when, you know, the thing that I would say for the ride is that we never, I never did any of the other gravel rides that existed. And, um, I had heard about the D2R2, which is a famous ride that's in this area, but I had never done it. And, um, my friend Makunda, the M of jam, also a friend of Ted's, uh, had said to me, Jeremy, you have to do the D2R2 sometime. And, uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like it sounds like a cool ride, but I had never done it. And that was at some point then I, uh, actively did not do it because I didn't want to be influenced by whatever they were doing. So really the, the ride started out as we have a type of road that we choose. And that road is a, what I would consider to be like a fairly buffed out gravel road. But the thing is we train on all of those roads because they don't have any cars on them. And so, you know, the, the thing that makes this area unique is, and for me anyway, is the amount of like amenities and resources that we have. So it's a, you know, it isn't San Francisco or, or, um, you know, Boulder, but we do have a whole foods, a cooperative, you know, lots of massage, great restaurants, food, great riding. And, um, and we have a good like, cycling community with drivers that are, you know, not, they're not jerks. So we sure. don't get a lot of road rage and stuff like that. And when you're out on the dirt, it even goes way down. And so that's kind of how this ride started. I mean, I remember taking Alan Makunda on it and saying like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And they were both like, this is awesome. I mean, because this wasn't happening nine years ago exactly. in this, in this way. Exactly. And now, um, and now, uh, you know, we've had to make some changes to the route, but it has only gotten better because some of the roads have been paved. <laughs> some of the roads are yeah. They're like, yeah, we're not maintaining these anymore. These are getting paved. And so we had to change it up. But the, I think really the route, the, the, uh, the fundo route is really, really pretty as it sits now. And, uh, it's still, it's still, it's basic again, it's a four hour loop if you do it, you know, pretty hard and it's a, it's a nice way, you know, you can do different parts of it each day. So I, so what I guess I'm trying to say is that through con continuing to like explore and do these different sections and then linking stuff together and being like, well, what if we go left? And then it's like, okay, you're on a main road for just a minute. And then you're back on the dirt and it's just new England. So there's yeah. so many roads all over the place. Total choose your own adventure. Um, I was riding with Peter Vollers head of Vermont Overland yesterday for quite a bit. And 
I mean, he lives in Woodstock, Vermont or that area. And, you know, amazing gravel roads there. And he was blown away by how many options you have around here. Right. Um, little, some left, some rights. Yeah. And I've heard great things about Peter's event. I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I want to. And uh, I think either this year or next year for sure, I'll be out. Cause I've, heard, I've just heard that it's such a, it's an awesome ride. And I've seen the pictures and Peter's a great guy. Totally. It's on my calendar. So have you done it yet? No, it's uh, never fit in. Yeah. Um, but there you were on the mic yesterday saying you're going to do a couple more gravel rides next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I am, I'm, I'm going to race again this year, which is going to be cool because yeah, I just, I took the beginning of the season off. I let all the contracts with Aspire racing, they ended, um, the team just, dis, you know, disbanded. I don't know. It sounds dramatic, but it, it really just through sponsorships, um, ending not abruptly they were there everyone was out of contract Mm -hmm. and so it was time to renegotiate contracts and some people opted to not continue which is that's fine that's business how long was aspire racing in existence uh technically it's still in existence as a a business entity okay um, for me but is as a team with ellen and spencer it was it really had like a it had a two, it, we had Ellen the first year and then last year we signed Spencer. So we had, you know, two years, but I had always, um, I guess in 2015, 16, then t- yeah, even 2014, 15, and then 15, 16, I had had the staff on hand that we then, you know, brought Ellen into that formula. So I had, you know, two mechanics and a manager and an agent basically helping me run the program and myself. And so, Ellen is a graduate of JAM. Is she that correct? Is. Yep. I mean, yeah, to build to build an event is one thing which is absolutely huge. The JAM Fundo. Yes. You guys, Jeremy, Al, and Makunda also built the JAM Fund, which yes. draws people here uh, to the area, which develops cycling uh, primarily on the cyclocross side. And then on top of that, you have to draw together an entire team and mm-hmm. like the the Aspire Racing program. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's 17 different lessons in entrepreneurship right there. Mm. Um, was the first year you did that the final year or even year prior, the final year of you racing on the road? 2013. So five years ago, I stopped racing on the road. When we got, when my wife and I got married, Emily and I got married, I decided that I was going to stop racing on the road just because of the time away. And, um, and because it was time to focus strictly on cyclocross and, and there was at that time, like there was enough you know, financially it was, uh, it was viable to actually move to cyclocross at that time because the world championships in Louisville were coming. There was a lot of things that were changing. I was national champion. And I felt like if I didn't jump from road racing, I was going to, can we swear on this podcast? Yes, you may. It's okay. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to half-ass, you know, the road and I was going to half-ass the cyclocross. And I felt like there was two things that were going on there where if I could invest in like my strengths, which were, you know, cyclocross and technical riding and things. But if I could take that additional time that I was on the road was road and I could start running and doing some cross training and doing some time in the gym and stuff, then I would have a lot more success in cyclocross and that, and that truly did play out. And I, became much more of an individual athlete, you know, coming from the road, it's, it's all uh, the the camaraderie of the team and everything is so much fun. And then when you switch from that to strictly, you know, being an individual athlete where everything's based around yourself, it's, it's a change. I had been doing it before, but it was a big switch in mentality, um, at that time for me. So I missed the road, but it was the right decision. Sure. And it's, man, I think when you put 200 people, 150 people out on a, in a road race, yeah. 
the, the, I don't know what it is. It's almost like an averaging out. And so it's really, it's harder to excel because there's a whole lot of talent. There's a whole lot of distance over the course of the race to, to do your thing. And you know, the, the exceptional guys will excel and then everybody else's looks like just a bunch of really good cyclists. Then you make the leap to cyclocross and you are exceptional. Like you win national titles and you, you are America's most, uh, decorated cyclocross racer for, for years and years. Mm. Um, did, did you think you had it in you? I mean, you said, you know, you you ended your road career as cyclocross national champion. The question, how do you, how did you see that? Did you, uh, anticipate it that you were going to have as much success as you have with Aspire or fingers uh, crossed yeah. that you're going to have as much success? Yeah, you can never, I mean, you can never say that it's going to go one way or the other. I think, I think the thing that I always knew is if I put more energy into cyclocross that I'd have more success in it. I just was never a great road racer. I did road racing to make a living and to check boxes. You know, I, I, I traveled all over the world, met tons of amazing people and did some awesome events, gotten some great breakaways. I mean, I feel like I really did maximize my, you know, what I was capable of, uh, genetically, uh, on road. And I just was never, you know, I was never a big climber. So I really like the stage races, you know, how am I going to win a stage race like that? You know, we actually raced the, uh, green mountain stage race and I won that. And I remember thinking like, (laughs) wow, this is the wildest thing. Like I seriously, I can't believe that. I mean, I'm looking at the little trophy, little bear over there from that. You know, that's my, hi- that's my biggest highlight of a stage race <laughs> uh, on the road. I mean, and if that's the thing that you write home about winning, which I think is pretty cool being from New England. As a New Englander, that, that that's is a, a who's who of racing and it's the best little stage race it on is. planet Earth. It's, I mean, I tell, I'll tell you, I am so happy that I was able to win that and I, I'm still surprised that I won it. Like yeah. it's still to this day, I'm like, I can't believe I won a road race. Like, it's just so surprising. <laughs> but, um, but that's not, you know, we don't, we're not doing the Tour de France off the back of GMSR. So, so Wrong time of the year. So, Otherwise it would work perfectly. Yeah. Like if the, if the goal is to be on the pro tour and to, um, and, and to make a living, cause that's really the highest level of road racing. I knew that that wasn't ever possible for me. And I knew that I could, you know, potentially get to the top 10 of the world in cyclocross. And, uh, it's just a, you know, really like a decision that you got to make. And so if the answer the question about the success, I think, if I didn't take that leap and go for it, then I would have been upset with myself later. And I knew that at that point. So yeah, it's time to go all in on cyclocross. And, um, yeah, I just nerded out and I switched the way I trained and did a lot of stuff and consulted with tons of people about how I should be thinking about stuff. I mean, I really did for probably four or five years. I mean, I went every day was, you know, 8am run 9am this. I mean, I was very, very, very methodical about how I did everything. You're incredible master of the craft because I think cyclocross is so acute. You know, you make one error anywhere throughout the race and boom, your race is done. You don't have the benefit of a team car to draft back on and and eight of the seven other teammates to help you out. So yeah, to go all in was a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, as, as a nearly former teammate of yours, (laughs) um, what you, I believe you nearly rode for uh, Louis Garneau Racing. Yes. That was the first year you signed with Jelly Belly. Jelly right? Belly, 2004? Yeah. yeah. And then the one time, I don't know if you were on Bissell, but I, I, I was going to ride for Bissell one year. They made oh, me an goodness. offer, but I didn't. Two time nearly. You actually won a stage in Arkansas now that I'm thinking about it. I did. A crafty win as well. Yeah. You, Ted King, you, not a sprinter, winning a field no, sprint. Yeah. You, you blitzed us with like, 
a couple K to go or maybe a K to go K to go downhill running. Yeah. We were working for Richard England. who was a pretty speedy Australian. Yeah. And I just went back of the pack to the front at yeah. Mach seven. Yeah, you did. And you nuked us. And I, I remember everyone was just like, we finished and we're like, damn, he got us. Like <laughs> we got had, <laughs> like we were trying to set up the train and do all this stuff. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, you blitzed us. So, uh, a golf clap. Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember who won the time trial in the green mountain stage race that you won? Did you win? I won that. Okay. My I think only I got time travel win. I think I got fourth. <laughs> I was, I didn't. Yeah. Good times. It was weird though. It was pretty negative racing, but there were a lot of hitters there. Gavin Mannion, mm-hmm. yourself, Timmy J, mm-hmm. uh, some rally guys that I don't remember, like Reed Murph, Reed some. Yeah. Murph it. Clay Murph. Anyway, that Mur- big tall guy Murph that dog. used to be that. Yeah. <laughs> on there. There were some getter. There were some hitters. Oh man. You I broke my hand on that race too. I broke my finger. I hit the, um, that year, the yeah, year you won? The, the plaster, the plaster Cabot, um, cow that was like makeshift. Like they did this for charity. They made a yeah. Cabot cheese, made a cow. I know we're getting a little tangent here, but rode with me for a <laughs> sec. And, and, uh, and it's snout was hanging into the course a little bit. And I got pushed by one of like the Argentinian sprinter guys right yeah. in the final. Uh-huh. And I had my hand on my right hood and I came by and it hit the top of my head. And so I snapped my, my pointer finger, right? Clear. This is in the final stage crit. Yeah. Yeah. In the last day. Oh, so my yeah, my finger was like three times the size of this cause I broke it in half. <laughs> I know. Wow. It's wild. I gotta, and gotta then go I had look, to go back and look at Vegas. pictures like with your hand in the air and you're yeah. pointing to this guy. No, I was three pain. times. <laughs> I like, I ate like 800 milligrams of ibuprofen because I was like, I'm, my finger's going to pop out of my body. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see it works. It still is working. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, okay. You have <laughs> developed a lot here for the youth of Western Massachusetts in the cyclocross world. Mm. Did you have, what was your upbringing in the, in the sport of cycling? Uh, I mean, my parents, you know, that's how it always starts. Um, and I've said this a bunch of times, but I had a lot of energy. So my mom was looking for a way to get it out. You know, I tried all types of sports, uh, ball sports, you know, American sports. And, um, you know, for one reason or another, they didn't work out. And I ended up finding the bike and I was like, I loved it. It was a big sense of adventure. I had, we had a lot of people in my area riding. Um, you know, I didn't think it's any secret. Tommy D grew up down the street from me. And, um, and so, yeah, we, you know, he's a lot older than me. Tom's like five years older than me. So I didn't go to high school with Tom or anything, but you know, a lot of people, um, were riding in that area, pushing each other, great riders. Uh, and we all would get together and go training and riding. And I was always the youngest guy, uh, for sure. I was, I was like always a year or two younger than everyone, but I was riding with them and pushing me. And I think just, I like, I like being around people. I really do enjoy the camaraderie of cycling in the group and the type of people that it attracts. Um, so for me, I always have been extroverted and I've always wanted to talk to a lot of people. And I just, you know, I crave that. I crave hanging out and having that type of interaction. So uh, when we, when I, I wasn't going to go to college, but because um, I was, I turned pro mountain biking when I was a junior. My last year, they gave a, like a little quick upgrade and we Ooh. got to do some racing. Who was that team? Team Devo. Devo. Yes. That's right. That was like the who's who of young mountain bikers in America. Yeah. It was a fun team. It was a really fun team. And it was a inspiring team. Ferguson was on there. Adam Craig was on there. Yeah. Ryder Hesjall was on there. Jeez. That was just when I was getting into cycling and I remember seeing that team being like, Oh, it it was, yes. When you were, yeah. At that point it was so cool. Yeah. It was like, Oh my gosh, this team is so, yeah. Uh So I was really, I, yeah, that was like my big goal was to get on the team and I, and I did. And they, and I ended up going pro. We did, we did like the, 
I think it was called the OLN tour was our first like pro mountain bike stage race. And I mean, we got annihilated. No way. Yeah. Like Jerome Shioti and like the big boys that were, you know, rolling green. Everybody was racing. Matt Kelly, like won a state. It was bananas. So you as what? 18 year old, 17 year old are, are racing the pro field. Yep. And it wasn't, Lord, it wasn't man. like it is now. It was on, that was, that was not conventional. Like, uh, John, the, the, um, Yep. John Kemp, the guy that ran the team, had to pull strings at USA Cycling to get us the, you know, permission to do that. Okay. But we got annihilated. I think I think Andy Guptill maybe finished one of the stages or finished the race. I don't know. I didn't. Oh man. But it's actually funny because Timmy Timmy J was there with Walker Ferguson. That was the first time I met Tim. Okay. Small small like, world stuff. They were there just as buddies. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, um, I thought I was going to go pro mountain biking and I didn't want to go to any colleges. College was never on the radar. And then that's how I got to Western Massachusetts, uh, Westfield state college. Now, now university no kidding. is that direction. That was going to be my, um, looking at the wall. No, point that's over that there. direction. It's West of us. Got it. South, but West. <laughs> so born and raised Connecticut, you find a good cycling community there as you're racing for Devo. Do you have to move anywhere? Yeah. Uh, I did. I mean, I traveled a lot. Yeah. Yeah. When you're Suitcase like 16, life. 17 or 15, 16, 17, and you're traveling with a bunch of kids from the South and California, everything, you pick up all the wild accents. Yeah. So no one ever knew where I was from because <laughs> I, you know, because you hang out with these kids so much that you end up picking up all their accents. Uh, so uh, yeah, go to college, end up here. That's how I ended up here. Where, as you mentioned yesterday, overlap with like a Meyerson and, and Meyerson, Kevin Monahan, Ross Krause, Ryan Pinkham. I mean, there were like a lot of uh, guys that were, you know, on division three professional teams that were living here. Um, Bikeridge.com was here. There's a great cycling, you know, already the Northampton Cycling Club existed. And so uh, that's how I linked in with Alan Makunda was wow. I moved in with them and started and went to school. Yeah. You had alluded to the, mm, the Bay areas and the Boulder, Colorado's where yes. there are tremendous turnouts and, and obvious places to ride bikes. Northampton, Massachusetts might not be the most obvious place to ride a bike until you come out here and see it and experience it. And, yeah. you know, a bunch of people flew in for the, for the fundo yesterday. Hartford is what half an hour down the road. Yeah. It's really good. And, uh, and I said this too, a couple of times in some interviews, but that, you know, that, that idea that those amenities exist that I was talking about earlier, but also that there's a, you know, an airport that I can fly directly to Europe or directly to Denver or directly to San Fran from, you know, a half an hour from here is a big, that's a big one for me. Do you fly Hartford to Europe? Yeah. Yeah. You can fly direct. Jeez, dude. Yeah. Laura, we got to move to Northampton. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and I think that for me, it's, uh, it, it, it helped me a lot in the European travel. Cause when I was racing the world cups, I would do, I would like, I would play tricks with the time zones by being able to fly direct, mm -hmm. you know, or fly in the morning from, you know, fly here to, uh, to either to Newark and then take a morning flight and then get there in the evening. Mm -hmm. And then I would like be tired and I'd go to bed and I'd kind of jump the, you know, I'd jump the jet lag. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there, it was, I think if you're a cycle crosser and you're going to Europe four or five times in a, in a five month period, Period. It's like it, it's it's there's so much travel and racing that's happening. The being on the East Coast is a uh, is definitely a benefit. Huge advantage. Yeah. Uh, Laura and I flew from the yeah. Basically, you go from the West Coast to Europe, and it'll kick you in the teeth oh. for for a week straight. Just going to the West Coast will kick you in the teeth from here. Yeah, and then East Coast. It's funny because it's almost too short of a flight. Get on the plane, <laughs> drink your glass of red wine. Yeah, Forty five minutes. Oh, we're there. Yeah. Um. So Girona, Spain, traditional road cycling mecca of Europe. Um, you and I were neighbors for about a two week stint as you were in between races. You yeah. and Emily had, uh, rented a, a flat over there in Girona and yeah. it was, I suppose, late season, uh, cyclocross. It was early season road racing and 
lo and behold, there's Jeremy. Let's go have a meal. Yeah. I think we went for a ride too. That sounds accurate. Yeah. We went out somewhere. You took me way out. I had never ridden that route. We went, you were doing intervals like right at the beginning though. And I remember being like, oh gosh, Ted, you're going way too hard for the first 10 minutes of this ride. (laughs) (laughs) I remember like I had to eat something before we even got out the door. Like I was like, okay, it's gel time. Like we're doing, we're doing 300 watts out the gate. (laughs) Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, but we were both going for it. You got to. I mean, the neutrals in the pro tour races, those are really hard. You got to go 300 watts straight out the door. Do you remember that though? Were you doing that training for a while? Um, where you were doing like, you had like five minutes warm up, and then you had to do like oh, an effort. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like straight out the door, go full block. Yeah. Oh man. It was hard. I don't do that anymore. No, thankfully. Um, <laughs> thankfully you don't. Yeah. I like more casual starts. Uh, I like more casual bike riding now. I still <laughs> like to ride hard, but so, okay. Have you, I don't want to go too in the weeds and of course we can delete anything you don't want to talk about. Okay. Do you foresee one more year of racing or is it open-ended? It's open-ended, but I do think that this is the, I think that, that we're definitely at the end. I mean, I feel that way. I think, you know, the thing that I was going to say about Aspire before was that while the team ended, I think the team was a lot of work, right? Jam funds, a lot of work. Um, you were you know, saying Aspire is a lot of work. It's no, no question. They're both a lot of work. And, and then there's other things, video series and, you know, the social stuff. I mean, there, you know, you, you do stay busy. It's a job, as you know, you know, doing this stuff is not like, oh yeah, you just, you just send out a few tweets it'll be easy yeah it's not it is it is work and and it it is it is a way and it's fun though i i enjoy it um but fun is is always you know how do you can you have to look at how you say it's fun right is it fun because you enjoy doing it yes is it is it you know but does it have a component of i have to do this to you know satisfy my sponsorships and the people that are investing, you know, in me and, and helping me reach my goals. And the answer to that is also yes. So there's always, everyone has a boss, right? Um, so I think that for me this year, when the sponsorships, the, the sponsorships that we had with Aspire ended, I felt like it was, uh, it was time to reassess. And so all the contracts ended and I was like, I'm going to walk away and see what happens and how I feel. And I was riding a lot. I was riding, you know, 20 hours a week still. And, um, I wanted to go to races with the jam fun crew and do that. Um, and so it maybe it wasn't right, you know, it wasn't the right time. And that's kind of how I made the decision was that, okay, I'm not. So, so through March, April, May, I pulled together sponsorship for this upcoming season, which I'll announce soon. And, um, and it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been good. A lot of the sponsors that I have coming on for this year, you know, I, I call them sponsors, but they're, I always call them partnerships too. Cause we're like working together to do something fun. Um, they all want to work together and that's really fun for me because, you know, you, you, you have these ideas of what you think something's going to look like, and then you get into it and it's not. And, but these, these have all, all these conversations were predicated on the idea of what exactly I was hoping we could do, uh, and in the suggestions, right? So Mm -hmm. read through that, but, but, uh, but we're going to do that stuff. And so that's great. You know, there will be some signature clothing with Pactimo. There will be some, you know, custom bikes, which are going to be great. Um, there will be, yeah, there will be videos that I've been wanting to do in a style. So the old contracts were Jeremy's, you know, goal and all of the bonuses and stuff are you got to get, you know, top three, top five in the World Cup. And now it, those are those are out the window and people, these partnerships that I have are more invested in me as a person, mm-hmm. which is a better, you know, contract for the place that I'm in. And um, and that, that makes me feel a lot better because the expectation is right. Yeah. And uh, 
that will help me, you know, that will help me next year with what I'm able to do. Cause I can't win every single race anymore. The kids are young. Ted. Yeah, yep. We're getting, I mean, oh we're not old, but we're not, we're also being 21 and coming out of a corner and being 35 coming out of a corner, at least in cyclocross, they're, they're different worlds. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I did the extra criterium not long ago. <laughs> Only because it's my hometown crit and I'd recently flown back. And it's like, okay, having just sworn off, never doing a criterium again. It's my hometown crit and there's fresh pavement. That's great. Yeah. And all was well and good until an 18 year old chopped me in the penultimate corner. And I'm like, nope, don't need this. <laughs> right. You don't want to crash anymore. I know. Um, speaking of kids and talents and so on and so forth, I was the day before this, I went down to um, Stores, Connecticut to ride with the Connecticut Cycling Advancement Program. Yeah great name ccap as yeah. i like to call it they're doing great work they are doing fantastic work i think they said there's i'm gonna make up a number because yeah make it up many many hundreds yep of um really young kids riding bikes in connecticut um basically it's it's sort of a feeder to juniors it's a feeder to any sort mm -hmm. of i'm rambling here the punchline is i'm riding with 12 kids and i saw one particular kid who i didn't think was he didn't look like he was going to stand out. We literally are inside and he pulls a wheelie and he rides from the inside of the dorm outside <laughs> wheelie. Then he goes, no hands. And I'm like, yeah, how are you ever going to keep up with these kids? They have more talent by the time they're 12 than yeah. I, I, I can't wheelie. Not like that. Not like that. No, no, no. Aiden and those guys that have built that program up are, uh, they did really good work. And I think that they are definitely building a group of kids that are going to race. And, and, you know, that is, that's, that's the thing that I always say, I'm on the board of USA cycling cycle cross committee. And I, and the thing that I always say is that if you don't invest in the juniors, if you don't invest in, you know, really jam is juniors, but it's also bad news bears. I mean, it's like 20, you know, you, you came into it late. If you're 25, you could still get a grant from the jam fund. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the thing is, is that you need all these different programs, but if you don't invest at that lower level, then there isn't anything. It doesn't, you don't just, and everyone knows that, but, but it's actually doing something is the, is the thing that no one really, not no one that's, that's, that's negative and pessimistic. It's not that no one does something. It's that we need to do more of it across the board. And Truth. I think that that would be, you know, that is a focus for me is that, um, just doing what we could do, right. Where Aiden and the CCAP program is doing what they can do. Mm -hmm. uh, we do what we can do. And, and I always say this, but everyone does what they can do. And then there's, then we have something. And I think we do have something, but um, I do, I do genuinely uh, think that the area that it needs to be focused on is on the, is on that 12 year old kid doing that wheelie because um, that without that, we haven't, we don't, we won't have anything. Sure. And it turns out over the course of riding with that that group of CCAP, I think this kid is a two-time national champion by okay. the age of 10. So okay. <laughs> even if he didn't distinguish himself before doing the wheelie out the door, he's he's got a motor too. Sure. Um, and you're right. I mean, the, the, the bicycle can be a tool for so many things and it's great for philanthropy and, um, you know, raising funds here, there and everywhere. But yeah. I mean, I think chances are, if you listen to this podcast, you also like to ride a bike and like to ride hard and like to watch bike races. And one of the coolest parts of being at the Grand Fundo is at the very, at the end of the uh, post-ride festivities, you award the grants to all the kids who have, who have, you know, applied for a grant. They write very compelling uh, applications and, you know, they've got the chops. Um, tell me, yeah. talk about the grants for just a couple minutes. And Yeah. Yeah. We give away, um, 
I think I don't know the exact numbers that they're written on the top of the sheet, but it's it's a it's quite it's significant. Um, you know, the thing about the GM fund is that it it is run off a very small budget. The whole program is, and so we do have different sectors. I mean, really, in a nutshell, GM does we're we're heavily involved in the community. We do training events. We support the Northampton Cycling Club as they're one of our. We have like a hand-in-hand partnership with the Northampton Cycling Club. They technically head up the kids cyclocross event that happens, but we stack it with uh, all of the Jam Fund kids to be able to, you know, bring the amount of kids that are able to sign up for kids cross. I think it's up to 75 now per session. Um, they wouldn't be able to do that without the, you know, eight jam riders that go over there and support it every weekend, uh, every week. So we go out, you know, Steven, Allen, myself, uh, we all go as well, not just the jam kids. So we all try to go over there and, and, uh, and that's what we were saying is that this idea that, um, well, actually, I, I won't tangent. I'll get back to what Jam Fund does. <laughs> no. Uh, so, so, no, but, but we do a lot of community stuff is what I was trying to say. And we give grants. And what happens is the kids, you know, they apply for the grants, they go online and then we review them. But what we try to do is stay, like I was saying, local, because if we go out and we give some kid in, you know, Alaska or Chicago or Texas a grant, it's hard to put your finger on them and to stay in touch with them. And we know that. And I think that we've just gotten to a point where if we can't see them, you know, every couple of months, at least, yeah, that's at least, then, then we don't feel like we can have a good impact with the resources that we have. Cause we don't have, we're not we're not a million dollar organization. You know, we're, we're very, very small monetarily. We don't take any money for the work we do. Mm -hmm. We give everything that we bring in directly back to the program. Um, and so with that, it's uh, every dollar counts kind of thing. And so we, we don't, we just don't feel like we're the right program to just throw money. Um, so we don't do that. So we do really try to stay local. We give away the grants and, um, and we gave away, I think we gave away 35 grants, which, you know, some of them are, uh, Someone will come to us and say they need clothing, they need a pair of wheels, they need you know a new seat and bar and stem and bar tape. Okay, so we'll give those things away, no problem. We'll give them clothing. We'll you know help. We can tailor our grant because we have a lot of this stuff, and um, and then also we give cash. You know we do we do write a check and it's five hundred dollars for your racing for your cyclocross racing season. Mm -hmm. And we we'd like it if every month you could just write us an email and keep us up to date on how you're doing. You know, it's really, there isn't a huge ask back, um, but we see a lot of the kids at the kids cross. We'll see a lot of the kids out at events and, and at the races in the, in the fall and uh, winter. So yeah, so jam is, and then there's that, the, then there's the racing team, which I think is where there's a little bit of confusion maybe, but it's, uh, but the racing team is just one arm of what we're doing. And that's where the Ellen Noble, Stephen Hyde, Jeremy Duran, um, there's been a ton of Anthony Clark, a lot of athletes have, graduated from that grant level. This is true. They all got grants mm -hmm. and every single one of them got like a grant. Oh, and awesome. then they've come up and they've gotten onto the team, which travels to races and gets them all of their equipment and clothing and treats them like a very, you know, a, a very semi-professional, you know, traveling local team. But we, but Al, you know, the A of Jam is the one that really is with them day in and day out when they're doing that stuff. And that is where you see the, um, that that's the like professional development portion of the program, which is, yeah, they're mature enough to take on the information that's being, you know, translated and they're putting it all together. And yeah. And truthfully, the Aspire thing was, it, it, it really, it came full circle when, you know, I had an opportunity to sign Steven and I didn't think it was the right financially. I wasn't in a great place to do it. I could have, but I didn't feel like it was a good one. He had an offer from Cannondale. And then with Ellen, uh, it was the right time. 
I could have, you know, it was a good fit for me. There was, there wouldn't have been any weird stuff. So really it's like the totem pole. Aspire is that you aspire to be a professional cyclocross racer mm -hmm. from the jam fund. That was always the dream was that the totem pole is like grant jam aspire. And then you're, you, you can fully see the top from the bottom. Uh, and over that time you, you, you see what the community is and you, you have, you know, paid your dues leading some jam camps and, and you understand that giving back is also part of the sport. And you see that with Ellen running camps. You see that with Steven, uh, you know, riding with juniors and really developing Yeah, that whole sense of community. Um, they all have that. Yeah. That's and, not, and, and it's not that there's no ego in that. You know what I mean? Like we can still, we can still bump our uh, bump elbows in the races and, and be friends. And, um, and Ellen can still, you know, she can still crush and have women's camps and we can all coexist here, which I think is really cool. And, um, you know, I think, I think that you do learn a lot from seeing other people do things and that's not, you know, that's not being like, I don't know, copycat or whatever, right? That that's, that's what we want. And that's actually when you were at the dinner on Friday night, that's what I'm trying to really say. I mean, we have to constantly remind ourselves that it's important that these riders go on to do their own things. You know, we don't always want it to be the jam fund and that they rode for the jam fund. This They need to flap their wings and go on to do their own stuff, which is, uh, which is what helps build the community, right? If you've got a pastry shop and I've got a pastry shop, that's a beautiful thing. There's two pastry shops in town. Yep. So yeah, so people always say like, you know, you want the, all the buildings to be tall. You don't, you don't have to be the tallest. I think that's, that's very fitting. Yeah. I've been traveling quite a bit this past, well, my entire life, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a travel mug with me on this particular trip and I've been reusing the same, uh, cup of coffee, coffee cup. And every time I enter the coffee shop, I'm like, no, they're also a boutique, delicious <laughs> coffee company. Just please fill up the cup. And they're perfectly happy to do so. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> Yep, rising tides lift all boats because that cycling in general, cyclocross as well, road cycling, women cycling, domestic cycling, European cycling, like the mm -hmm. sport is still quite nascent. It it has a lot of developing to do, and if you're doing it for all the right reasons, rather than putting up walls and barriers and saying no, I'm 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 better than you, mm. eh, we end up in a sad place. Yeah, yeah, and I was definitely for me. I always felt like it was good to put it forward and. Um, and I always tried to leverage the relationships that I had to be able to help, you know, really, I mean, it, it's weird. Cause it's like, I want to help Al and I want to help Makunda and, and I want to make like something cool. And I think that that's, that's always what it was predicated on, not where it's starting now. Like, oh, this is what I'm going to, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to help all these riders and this individual. It doesn't, that's not how think about it. You think about it with, let's do something good that betters the community. Let's, I want to have a training race mm -hmm. and I know people will also benefit from having that training race because, right. Cause it, it is, there is a selfish component to all of this, right? You oh, want something, yeah, yeah. but that's how everything is. Yep. And that's, uh, that's good because it should, it should, um, it should be also, it should self-serve to some extent and then it should in serve the other people that are going to benefit as well. And that's a lot of what we've done is that it, uh, it checks boxes for us and keeps us busy and smiling. And I was saying that, uh, the other night, Alan Makunda and I were at Costco and I was sitting in the, in the, in the, in the grocery cart and it was like just right back at old times. It was beautiful. <laughs> and so, so the jam fund also gets me to be able to hang out with my friends, uh, like I used to, and we have gotten busier. So we wouldn't be able to do that too. So jam funds also self-serving in that way that I get to stay friends with Alan Makunda and we get to do this thing every year that we feel good about. Yeah. I mean, you each have branched off, uh, to do slightly different things, but you know, we're still revolving around jam yeah enormously um it's it's been a privilege and pleasure to see uh i mean you can't 
you can't predict the future. And mm-hmm. so sort of for the same reason you said when you're hanging out with Al McCunda, you say, hey, we, we would like to do this thing and let's see the direction it develops. Do you have any idea what, you know, post-bike racing Jeremy Powers is looking like? And feel free to be like, I have no friggin' idea. Well, I think I have a better idea now uh, that I haven't, that I had gone through the letting go of all the sponsorships. Uh, because before that, I think I did, I did think that I might have a job in the industry straight away. I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this or I'll do that. Somebody will ask me to do something, but I realize very clearly now that that's, that's not the way that it's going to work. A, um, B, maybe I don't want that. And see, I don't know with the opportunities that were presented to me moving from here and leaving behind a lot of things to take a job would not necessarily fulfill me. And that is, um, that, so that's forced me to get more creative and to kind of bet on my strengths again, maybe in a, you know, in a, in a business that I start or, you know, I was doing, I do, I have like very, 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 very small, like I'm coaching like two people for fun, really. Um, because, uh, because I want to, um, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm staying busy. And, and the thing is, is that there's a lot of work to be had a lot of events and a lot of these partnerships. So, the way that it's structured now is I'll race one year and then in my second year, I will do some ambassadorship and that will be like a nice way to parlay into whatever is next after this. Um, so whether those things come about and I get an opportunity to do something that I think is a good fit or I create something, um, you know, my dad owns an ice cream business, um, in Connecticut and, uh, I've been helping him a lot with that because he, he's, my dad's 66 now. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've been helping him book events and um, taking over some of the, you know, very small amount of what his day-to-day is, but it's helped him significantly. And ice cream business is good. Right on. Um, so no matter what the economy is doing, I imagine everybody wants ice cream. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, so I was helping him. And I mean, I I, th- I always said, actually, this was you know, not, I'm not even going to go this way, but I always said if bike racing, let's just say bike racing didn't work out for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I didn't make it, then I would just go back to working with my dad. That's so maybe, awesome. maybe I end up working for my dad again. Maybe I end up working as my dad. I have no idea. I probably will not be out on the truck slaying it every day, but there is definitely some part of me that's like, yeah, maybe that's uh maybe that's an itch I have to scratch, Yeah. but I may also get a job working for some brand in cycling and be totally excited to do marketing and traveling around and hang out and do fun stuff for them. I think there's a hundred ways it could go. I do not have a master plan, but I also am happy Good. that I don't. I'm with you. Uh, yeah. You're preaching to my choir. That was yeah. sort of my approach. Um, I had it laid out unanticipated when I would retire. I mean, it was about, uh, February of 2015. I said, you know what, I'm going to race the end of the season, but I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and again, similarly, I had no idea where I was going to go from there. And so, well, uh, a couple sponsors reached out and said, Hey, we kind of like you in the sport. Let's see if there's a post race career for you. And I guess the, the short piece of advice that I would give you is I think you're alluding to it anyways, just say yes. I mean, opportunities are going to come your way. Mm-hmm. Say yes, weed them out, put them through the sieve. And over the years, you're going to figure out what is super cool. Days, months, weeks, years. And heck, yeah, maybe it ends up totally outside <laughs> of the sport of cycling. That's yeah, that's a good thing too. Yeah, I, I've been very much trying to. Sometimes I think you can get with like the mindset that you develop as a pro, you get this like, oh, back me into a corner and I'll fight my way out. And I've been, I, I've really backed off of that. I'm not like, I'm not expecting something. I don't have an expectation for a, a role. I don't think that I deserve something from anyone. I'm, you know, with all of the sponsorships that have come and gone, I'm legitimately grateful. 
Uh, I have a, made a beautiful career life from all of their support. And, um, and I don't feel slighted or, or angry in any way. So it's, so for me, it's a, it's, it's, it's like, if this continues to go in this direction and I continue to get this support, that's beautiful. And if I get a job in the industry after that's, that's great too. And if I don't, that's great. Everything, mm -hmm. everything is fine. I'm at peace with everything and I think it will play itself out. Um, the way it's supposed to. That's what I'm trying to say. Magnificent approach and perspective. Yeah. And on you, top of that, I mean, it, I also coach a handful of athletes, not many. It's a portion of what I do. It definitely takes up a lot of time, but not yeah. what I'm doing entirely. And it's because over the past 15 years, much like you, you yeah. acquired an enormous wealth of knowledge in yeah. a very particular field, uh, acute field that you know, you don't want to go to waste. You that's to ex that's that. exactly it. No. And I, and I get it and I get it more than I did. And I never, I never coached in my heyday because Same. I, I could, I, I knew I couldn't give them the time. Mm -hmm. Um, like when I was, when I was really focused, I just knew, yeah, I, this isn't for me. I couldn't do it. Um, but now, you know, I, I feel like I have a little more time and I'm willing to, and I don't feel like I'm at, I'm not competing against, you know, giving this, um, formula away a little bit, you know, that I have built up like you. Bingo. Well, Okay, this is all very wholesome. Let's abruptly end that. Okay. Um, we can wrap up here very shortly. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the tour. It is July, the first block before the first rest day, just mm -hmm. ended today with the Roubaix stage. Yeah. Watch a handful of that. You you enjoy your time riding on um, <laughs> mixed terrain. Mixed terrain, as we call <laughs> it now. They rode that today in Roubaix. Yeah. For uh, sure. I think they you, you semi called Degen Kolb for the win. I thought, I thought it would definitely extend his career. He's had, you know, he's had a lot of injury and, and illness. I remember he had like a mono or cat scratch fever and mm -hmm. he, you know, he had a lot of issues, which, you know, I think you and I both know that when you start to get one injury, they, they start to go into another one and another one. And then you're just like, it's also that thing where you have like one pint of Ben and Jerry's and then you're like, well, what the hell is it if I have two, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I took one month off the bike. And then it's like, well, one month turned into one season and then you took a second season off. And then, but you know, the thing that I think it's like, when you have a pro team and you run it for a long time, you know that if you bet on something that eventually the, the horse is going to run and Degen Cole, you know, yeah. today, I mean, he let that, that horse ran. He ran big time. Uh, yeah. You know, they bet the long hand. I, I bet, I don't, I bet Degen Cole's had bigger contracts than the one that he's in. Mm -hmm. And I think that they were probably like, yeah, that paid off mm -hmm. because that's, that's is one, that's a very historic win. Absolutely. That team is doing surprisingly well. Um, young Tom Squeens. I know. KOM jersey. Super cool. He was, he was duking it out today. He rode like a champ. Yeah. Uh, Do you know Tom's? I love him. He's one of the most upbeat, positive. Yeah. He's uh, a good, going. he's a really good dude. He's I like, I like, I've had a chance to ride with him a bunch and we stay in touch. So I was, every time he does something, whether he nicks a stage at Cali or this right. or that, it's, it's it, like, I'm, ha I'm, I'm very happy for him. He's a great dude. He is a very calculated opportunist. When he was on Holoesco, whatever they were called back in the day, and he yeah. won that first California yep. stage. You know, the Peloton cheered, but they sort of shrugged their shoulders. Then he won again and yep. he won again. And yeah. To win from a breakaway is that is a very, very calculated task. Yeah. I call him the new uh uh the Ghent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he's he's into potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's gluten free. Oh yeah. He's gluten-free. I have hung with him before. And, and uh, I remember I wasn't gluten-free. I'm gluten-free now too, just for the record. I've been gluten-free for like over a year. Um, 
uh, because it had I like don't a know wild. Whether to congratulate you or or say I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I had a delicious muffin this morning. No, the thing is, is that there's yeah, you, I can do it really easily here, <laughs> but when I'm traveling, it's it gets more challenging. Um, who knows if I'm when I'm done racing, it just makes me feel better if I'm if I'm riding hard. I'm with you. You know, so for me, there is there's that there's that portion the portion of like the inflammation. Anyway, I'm not gonna go down that street. He's gluten free. He eats a wild <laughs> diet. No, no, not surprising that he's into potatoes um, yeah. because they're that's readily available. GF life. Gnocchi is delicious. Gnocchi is delicious. one of my favorite of the gluten free pastas. <laughs> it's um, so good. Okay, um, let's do some quick predictions. Who's going to win the tour? Froome. Okay. I Sorry, had, I had Port. Um, Port's yeah, Port's cooked. Unfortunately, Port is now at a hospital, and um, <laughs> he is now my pick for the Vuelta. You asked who I think is going to win, but who I want to win could be a great question yes. too. Who do you want to win? Port. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but Port's, Port's not dead, but he's dead in this um, race. Rigo, I think it'd be great. He's, uh, he's a funny dude to watch. I know. It'd be great to see some pink on the top step. Pink and yellow, that's a, that's a good combination. Um, Bardet has impressed me over the years. Yeah. Um, who do I want to win? Uh, sh- to be perfectly honest, I wanted TJ to win, and he had a really tough day today. Mm. Uh you? Who do you want to win? I th- I mean, I was, I was definitely, I think Iran is the, is my like people's champ yeah. award. You know, I think he's cool. Uh, I actually follow him on Instagram. I can't say I follow a ton of pros. He's a, he's a great follow. Yeah. He's no, hilarious. he's cool. He's a boss. Yeah. Uh, and I think he, you know, from what I know of him for that people that race with him, I think he, he's definitely like a leader, you know what I mean? In that sense, I think mm-hmm. he does rally the, the, the crew. So anyway, so I like Rigo, uh, I'd be happy to see him to win. Um, but I do think he's, you know, an outside shot. Um, but he got second last year He did, and, and he wins any, he, and he's he, he, like, yeah, he seems to get better over time. Um, but I also think Quintana is interesting, you sure. know, because he's so, um, he's never really done the, this, this lead up. Uh, I don't, he didn't do the Giro. Correct. So he, this is a, the Taurus thing this year. Uh, he's just, a, he's a good athlete. He's mm-hmm. and he's a good climber. I have no idea, but I think that that's a guy that I think could definitely, if I was saying like, Hey, why don't you place a little bit different bet? I'd say, okay, not from Quintana. I like that. Yeah, man. And pool. If Froome wins, then he's gone tour. Vuelta Giro Tour. That's a hat trick plus one. Yeah. I mean, I've never done that. No. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. But I'm, the thing is, I'm going, I'm planning it. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. That right. is like my comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Career th- <laughs> 3.0. <laughs> All right. Well, beautiful day outside. It is 100% humidity and bright, sunshiny. Um, you've got a lot to do. I've got, a handful of things to do. <laughs> Hopefully I have, yeah, less to do. I'm trying to do less today. Today, Yesterday is a big thing. The thing, the cool thing about that event is that we do it all. And while, yeah, we call it fundo, like the fundo flu, because we all, for the next two or three days, we'll just like lick our wounds. I would agree with that. And I totally understand that. I went into a coffee shop this morning and I ran into Chris um, from the, I think he's a graduate okay. of the Jam Fund. And he's like, oh man, how long are you in town? All the Jam Fund kids are going out for a 60 mile ride. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's one way to kick the flu. Because it's amazing. I mean, like yeah. you guys take the entire Jam crew around here and mark the course, like I said, yeah. incredibly well done. It is run on 
on the hard work and elbow grease of yeah. these kids. Yeah. And that's how we raise them. I mean, by design, the people that come have fun Yep. Um, and they do a well-run ride. And then we, you know, the money that we raise goes back to them. So it's, it's a win-win. Although in fairness, I guess they said they're doing this big, long ride in order to jump in a particular. Yes. The Beckett. Yes. They're going to Beckett, Massachusetts to jump in the quarry. Okay. Uh, it's a very famous area to jump in and they, they are quite high. Um, so yeah, I can't tell you I've gone and, uh, and I'm not going to make the ride this year either. <laughs> so <laughs> 2019, stick it to him guys. He's, yeah. he's going to do it in 2019. Yeah. All right. Well, I very much appreciate the time. Thank you for the insight. Thank you for the conversation. Ted, thank you. Thank you for coming to the fundo. And, uh, we didn't talk about you. It is your podcast, but we didn't talk about you, but, um, thank you for having me on and thank you for coming out and thanks for the friendship It's good to, it's good to have been, we've gone, we go way back. Yeah. I don't think the people know, but it's been, I mean, we've been riding bikes together for a pretty long time. Truth. Um, so yeah, it's good to, it's still good to be here sitting here talking about bikes and bike racing and reminiscing a little bit. So we'll do it. We'll do it again. We'll do it in 20 more years, 20 years after that. <laughs> All right. Thank you.